Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. In this series on uh, prayer called That's Why We Pray, which I really hope has been helpful to you in some way, I, I may surprise you today by suggesting that there might be a time where it's actually appropriate to stop praying. <gasps> what did the pastor just say? I, th- I thought he just said there were times we should stop praying. That can't be right. Maybe these are overlapping principles than distinct boxes, but... Um, I think there is a time for prayer and there's a time for action. There, uh, Sky Jatani, uh, he says, there's a time to cry out to God and a time to claim his victory. There's a, there's a time to seek his intervention and a time to accept his answer. Uh, there's a time to ask for his wisdom and a time to simply obey his command. There's a time to be on our knees and a time to get up and open the door. Uh, sometimes mature faith actually means um, acting with the authority and the power that he's already granted us as, as his children. I, I just noticed this in the famous story of the exodus out of Egypt. Some four million Jews promised an escape from their slavery. And it's a series of opportunities for Moses, their leader, to obey, to trust in God. And as they are leaving the land of their oppressors, you know the story, the Egyptian army is coming up behind them. And right in front of them is this mighty Red Sea. They're blocked in. They're surrounded. And the people begin to panic. They're already wondering if slavery was a better option than this current situation. They're crying out to God. Now, here's what God says. I don't know why I didn't notice this. He says to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your hand or your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Time for crying out is over. It's time to walk forward. Stop talking. Take a step of faith. Stop praying. Start obeying. I want to talk today about how prayer, obedience, and faith are, are, to me, inextricably linked. But before I get too ahead of myself, I want to maybe just debunk some of the false notions that we would have about faith. Like, first of all, you do realize the exercise of faith isn't a formula. Like, my whole Christian life, I have seen charlatans and wolves and manipulators and maybe even people of of sincere but, you know, deceived people trying to push formulaic prayers as some sort of secret insider's key to unlocking results. If you pray these exact words in this exact order, God will be compelled 
to answer it. I, I'm old enough to remember this thing called the classified ads in newspapers. Um, Read this prayer verbatim seven times a day to receive the blessings of God. Does anybody remember seeing those? Or even worse, write a check to naiveprayerscheme.org. And uh, you see a version of this on social. It's, it's deception. And, and whether, as we talked about in previous weeks, you're, you're tacking on in the name of Jesus or naming it and claiming it, or speaking out positivity like some sort of Christian version of the secret. It doesn't really work that way. It's kind of arrogant, actually, isn't it? Like, we've, like as though we have this genie, and because you said the right password, open sesame, amen, this genie is somehow obligated to you. Aha! My wish is infinite more wishes. Oh, you got me. You hacked the code. I guess my hands are tied, God says. I want to remind you here today um, also that the exercise of faith is less about getting what you want and more about getting what God wants, but done through you. James 4.3 says, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I'll direct us again to the Lord's Prayer. It's about giving God glory. It's about advancing His kingdom. It's about His will being done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to say this too. The exercise of faith isn't about faith in our faith. Um, Some people talk about working up faith to take hold of something, and it, it can sound suspiciously like, you know, positive thinking. If we just uh, muster it up enough, you know, strive enough. I look constipated. I realize that. Please don't take a screenshot of this. Um, uh, If we just think good thoughts. Someone used to say to me, you know, I'm, I'm sending you good thoughts. And look, the intention was sweet. But part of me was like, great, that and a loony won't even get me a cup of coffee, right? Like, The object of our faith is God himself. And that's why we pray, our Father, who art in heaven. And so as as we've said again and again already, we can be assured of, of two things. That our Heavenly Father actually desires to answer our prayers. And that he will answer them with more and better answers. Especially as we think of them in light of eternity. So, what is true faith? Well, I think Hebrews 11.1, what's called the faith chapter, the the faith hall of fame chapter, really has the best uh, explanation. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So this this is um, uh, many principles we can learn about faith from this one chapter in Hebrews. So it means, first of all, that, that we, faith means that we hope for something and have an assurance that something will happen even though we can't see it. Uh, Romans 8.24, but hope that is seen isn't really hope at all. Who hopes for something that you already have? 2 Corinthians 5.7, for we walk by 
faith, not by sight. Now, uh, you do realize that something is no less real just because you can't see it, right? Like, if you are listening to me right now on a podcast, uh, you can't see me. Um, do you have any doubt that I'm real? I assure you I am. And you ask my wife. Uh, it, isn't, it isn't some chat GPT AI that leaves its dirty clothes littered around the bedroom. I assure you, I am real. And let me tell you, you are missing out on a real eyeful if you're only listening to me. Um, if, you, <laughs> if you are blind, if you are visually impaired, you understand this concept better than most. You can't see what your seeing eye dog sees, for instance. But make no mistake, your lack of seeing it does not make the traffic any less real. It does not make that wall any less real. Corinthians 4.18 says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Second thing, um, because I cannot see these things for myself, I have to rely on someone else who is reliable, who, who has seen these things. Um, I believe in viruses, not because I've bothered to look in the eyepiece of a, of a microscope myself, but because credible people I trust have looked and seen them. I believed this morning when I came in and I flipped on the switches in the lobby um, that it would get illuminated out there, not because I've actually seen electricity. I gotta be honest, I don't even know how all that stuff works, but I had the assurance that it would happen. Faith in a reliable God gives me assurance or a conviction uh, that things I, of things I haven't yet seen or even experienced. And the third thing about faith is, this may be a new concept to some people, but I, I think you have to be able to hear God in order to have biblical faith. Um, and here's the good news. Every Christian can hear from God. Uh, the Hebrews writer goes to great lengths to point this out. For example, Noah built an ark, though he'd never seen a flood. Why? Because God warned him. Uh, Hebrews 11.7, by faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for saving his household. Abraham moved from his birthplace to a place he'd never seen because God called him. Uh, Isaac and Jacob and Sarah were promised something by God. Abraham was told to sacrifice Isaac. Moses left Egypt because God said. Uh, the walls of Jericho fell because God said spoke. Now here's where it gets really serious though. This is really what I want us to get this morning is that you have to obediently act on what you have heard from God. So, so Hebrews 11:8 by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and when he went out not even knowing where he was going. Obedience is clearly linked to faith. It, it, 
It has nothing to do with our feelings of confidence. Look, you can have great confidence and step out in faith and obedience. And, and I can hardly have any confidence. Small faith, as it were. But I can still step out in obedience. Um, that's why Jesus could say that even if a person has, has faith as small as a mustard seed, that they could tell that mountain in their life to be moved, and it would move. You've heard, you know, like, facts don't care about your feelings. I suppose you could say that faith doesn't really care about your feelings either. It does care if you're obedient. And I've never been more convinced that Jesus speaks to his children. In 2023, he speaks. He's speaking to some of you today. And and I believe this can actually be a normative experience for the the Christian believer, um, to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. For, for those of you who have taken our Hearing God seminar or uh, the Abide Discipleship track, I sure hope you will when we offer it again. You, you understand the distinction in these original Greek words of logos and rhema. Both are translated as word, but they have these wildly different implications. So like when we quote, quote Romans uh, 10, 17, for instance, um, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You know, I always took that to mean logos, the, the scripture, the eternal uh, revealed words of God in scripture. You know, it turns out that the word here for word is actually rhema, and it's more accurately translated as not the word of Christ, but a word of Christ, right? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through a word of Christ. The word rhema refers to a specific word for a specific person at a specific time spoken by Christ. Um, Not necessarily scripture, though. It's interesting how he often uses scripture as a rhema word. He uses the logos as a rhema word for you. I don't know if this happened to you where you, where the, where the scripture just pops off the stage, uh, off the stage, off the page. And you're like, uh, this is for me today. This has taken on a whole new relevance and meaning for me. That's, that's a rhema word. Um, in other words, a, a rhema word can be pulled from the logos of Scripture. And I don't have time to go through all the examples, but like, uh, let me give you a couple. In Revelation, Jesus has a rhema word, a specific word for seven local churches in, in Asia. And he ends each letter with this, ref- with this refrain. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to all the churches. In other words, Jesus has a specific word for every single church. If only, if only we would listen. Jesus promised the disciples that they would receive his rhema word, his specific word, in times of persecution. Uh, Matthew 10, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. He was teaching that they would be given 
specific words for a specific situation, a specific time from God himself. In fact, Jesus taught that this should actually be a normal experience for every Christian. Don't misunderstand me. Jesus taught we absolutely need God's written word, his eternal word, scripture, the logos, but that we also need his spoken word to us in 2023. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word, rhema, that comes from the mouth of God. It, it all starts with a word from Christ spoken to your heart. Now, um, I have never heard the audible word, the, the audible voice of God. I doubt most of you have. Um, it's rarely an audible word, but you start to recognize how he speaks. He speaks to your heart, how his thoughts become your thoughts, how, how you'll get impressions, gut checks, convictions from the Holy Spirit, pictures and images, dreams. It's why I want us to grow in this hearing God part because it's, it's um, according to scripture, it's a crucial part of us building our faith, building the kind of faith that even accomplishes great things for God. Here's the thing though. Once you have a word, God expects you to respond with faith and to and to do something with that rhema word. Sometimes it means you have to speak out a word. One day Jesus uh, was deciding to teach his disciples a little, a little lesson, a little object lesson. And they were hungry and they see this fig tree and they get up close to it and they see there's no fruit on it. And Jesus cursed the tree. He said, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And sure enough, the next day as they passed by the fig tree, they saw that it had already withered and died. And the disciples pointed this out to Jesus. And and look how Jesus responded. Have faith in God. I tell you the truth that if anyone, what, says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. So this, this isn't just a general saving faith in God. He's talking about obstacles and how to remove them. And he's saying, have faith in what God is saying to you so that when he reveals himself to you. You can trust him. You can have faith in him. In fact, the real proof of your trust is acting on the word that he gave you. And often one of the things he expects you to do with this mountain in your life is to speak out in that situation. In fact, um, look at a verse that we love, and you may think it's unrelated, but just check this out. Ephesians 6.10, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay, so when you engage in advancing God's kingdom, you're going to face resistance. Uh, you're going to face opposition from a really uh, formidable spiritual force of evil in the heavenly realms. 
And then Paul lists the armor used to protect us from the devil. And, and remember, Paul tells the believers that it is their responsibility to put on the armor. God doesn't put it on for you. You have to dress yourself. And then he tells us to take up weapons to go on the offensive, to fight these spiritual forces. And here's what it says uh, in, in verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I don't suppose anyone wants to guess uh, what Greek word is used here for word. Rhema. Rhema. Paul is literally saying, take the sword of the Spirit, which is a word from God for you. A specific word for a specific time for you. It it can be a scripture verse, but not necessarily. And you wield that word like a sword. You speak it out. And, And a sword is no good in its sheath, right? You gotta... You got to take it out and wield it. And Jesus did precisely that. You remember his temptation in the desert. He spoke it out to Satan. He quoted scripture. He preached right to the devil. He, he countered the devil's lies with truth. And on another occasion, Satan whispered these thoughts into Peter's head. And so looking right at Peter, but kind of actually speaking to the devil, he said, get behind me, Satan. You're, you're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but just human concerns. Jesus casts out demons with a word. He, he calms a storm with a word. He heals people often with a word. And, and we can do the same. He's modeling something for us here, I believe. But then you'll notice we often have to do something, not just say something. I, I think of the story of Gideon uh, in, found in Judges chapter 7. You've got to read this story if you haven't already. He's got this army of 32,000 fighting men who are on the verge of fighting against 135,000 enemies, armed warriors. Bad odds. Seven to three. I did the math. So, so what does God say? Nah, you got too many, man. Send some home. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lord. I thought you said um, I thought you said we had too many. But Gideon obeyed. He sent 22,000 home, and he's got 10,000 left against 132,000. What does God say? You got way too many. Wait, Lord, we're outnumbered 14 to one. Yeah, but when you win, you might be tempted to think it was all Israel's awesomeness. So he sent 9,700 home. How many are left? 300. 450 to 1 odds, according to my calculator. Staggering. But God said, with 300 men, I will save you and give your enemy into your hands. And he did just that. It's such a good reminder. And there are a hundred more examples where self-sufficiency is the antithesis of faith. Self-sufficiency might just be the antithesis of effective prayer that honors God. We are asked to act 
to do something, but it's in partnership with God to be part of the answer to our own prayers even. But that's all in the context of of humbly submitting to God's direction, obeying him. And after studying this passage in Matthew 17 where Jesus heals a demon-possessed son because his disciples couldn't, and Jesus rebukes them for their little faith, what I now believe is that he was rebuking them for, um, I think, what could be described as their self-sufficiency. Andrew Murray says, you know, when I pray, I work. Sorry, when I work, I work. But when I pray, God works. So true faith, real faith, biblical faith, partners hand in hand with obedience. Obedience. Let me just give you an example that doesn't involve any armies or a fire falling from the sky or casting demons or healing the sick. Jesus is instructing his disciples that if a brother or sister sins against you and they have repented, that you're responsible to forgive them, even if it happens seven times in one day. And so the message the disciples took from that was, okay, got it. Uh, we'll forgive people up to seven times, and that's the cutoff. The eighth time, you know, I'm going to let them have it. And Jesus is like, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not saying seven times, but 70 times seven. And they're like, okay, they get the abacus out. 490 times, but then we can know, forgive, and keep on forgiving. And what do the disciples say? I think, first of all, they would have said, oy vey. And then, and then they say, Luke 17, 5, Lord, increase our faith. And, and so Jesus responds to that with a little parable. And, and here's what he says. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We, we've only done our duty. What is going on here? What is, why does this parable come right after the disciples asking for more faith to forgive? I think this is one of the, the hard sayings of Jesus, one of the difficult sayings of Jesus, because of what it was requiring of them, and by extension, us. So they're all like, well, then you're going to have to increase our faith, Lord, because that kind of forgiveness is too hard. And some commentators take this to mean the disciples are actually lipping off. You know, my mom used to put it this way to me. Don't you be saucy with me. And uh, the disciples are being saucy. So Jesus tells them this parable and to kind of set them straight. We forget, you know, not everything with Jesus is all like, sunshine and lollipops. This is one of the hard lessons of Jesus. And he's saying to them that when a master tells you to do something, what you don't need is more faith. What you need to do is just 
what? Obey. To act on what Jesus has already said. Our response ought to be more like, and this may, you may not like the sound of this, but a lot closer to, yes, sir, thank you, sir. Is there anything else, sir? Instead of, oh, brother. Well, you're going to have to increase my faith then. Um, don't be saucy. Well, then Luke, the writer of this gospel, emphasizes this point by immediately following that parable with a contrasting example. Remember when 10 lepers cry out to Jesus and, and ask him to heal them? Jesus responded to them, not by just you know, waving his magic hand, but by telling them to do something, to go show themselves to the priests. He could have healed them on the spot, but instead he gives them instructions. He, he commanded them to go to the priests. And the lepers didn't say, ugh, oi vey, all the way to the priests, we just came that way. Could you just send one of us? Um, otherwise, you're going to have to give us more faith. No, they acted on Jesus' word to them. They obeyed. It says they went immediately. They didn't need more faith. They simply needed to obey what they'd already been told. Folks, true faith pleases God. I want you to notice how God responds to people who grow and walk in faith. Hebrews 11 verse 2. This is what the ancients were commended for. This is what they got the attaboys for. This is what, this is when they heard, well done, good and faithful servant. Why? Because when we grow in faith, what we're actually doing is showing our willingness to, to participate with God in forwarding his kingdom vision. There are examples um, that end up being one's life work, right? The acts of faith that define our earthly existence because of, of one act of faith. The, by faith, Noah built an ark, 450 feet by 75 feet by 45 feet. It took him years and years and decades and decades to build that kind of ship. It took years. No sign of rain. No sign of an impending storm. Can you imagine the ridicule that he and his family faced? Yet he trusted God. The ark saved all of animal kingdom and saved all of humankind through his mercy. But I suspect every day we have these micro acts of faith, many rhema words where we can, in faith, obey or ignore the voice of our shepherd. And for some of you, it might have been, it might have been saying yes to the prompting in your heart, in your spirit, to vulnerably step out last week and, and get baptized in obedience. You didn't want to be in front of all those people, but you as an act of obedience and faith, stepped out. It may have been a few weeks ago when we had a healing service where you, you felt to get out of your chair and walk up to someone that you may or may not have known and in faith ask for healing prayer or to gather around in, in twos and threes. And I'm telling you, God was honored by your obedience. God was honored by it. Maybe you're sensing God saying, go to this 
prayer summit thing in March, even though I'd much rather watch Formula One or, or maybe serve in this ministry or walk across the room and ask this coworker how they're doing. I mean, how they're really doing. Um, of course, that's not on the scale of a worldwide flood, but it's scary in its own right. Or maybe... You know, it's, it's like a, a gentleman I saw, I'm not sure if he's in the room a couple weeks ago, coming here early and praying over every seat in this room and uh, not asked to do that, but clearly asked by God to do that. Uh, I believe because of the obedience of our baptism candidates last week um, that God will continue to speak to them and take them, as Paul says, from glory to glory to glory to new and deeper places in their relationship with God, a vibrant prayer life, a, a spirit-filled walk. Hebrews eleven six. and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Do you, do you think the greatest challenge for us, for you, in implementing a robust prayer life is a lack of information? Is, is the gap that is holding us back um, the gap between what we know and don't know? No way. Like, I have prayer books and resources just filling up my bookcase. We have access to the best minds and preachers and podcasts and teaching right now media we've never had more information it's the gap between what we know to be true and what we're actually doing sometimes i think i'm educated beyond my obedience Uh, what i really need to do is get up out of the boat step upon the water to trust and obey. There's this old hymn, a little dated, but a timeless message. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. 